Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. So I'll be reading from Philemon, verses 19 through 25. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Hey, thank you, Bruce. Exciting things happening around here at Community Covenant, huh? Yeah. VBS shipwrecked? Mary getting married? Um, wow. I'll tell you what, it's, it's uh, lots of great things happening. Hey, listen, we are in our, um, I think, fourth week in our study in the book of Philemon. Uh, what a wonderful book it is. Of course, the, the title of the sermon series has been Runaway Reconciliation because it, it really does uh, give us a picture of what this book is about. Uh, Philemon, a very well-to-do uh, person in the city of Colossae, has a house church that uh, meets in his home he uh, has servants, as often was uh, the custom of someone who was well-to-do uh, during this time in history. Uh, one of them was named Onesimus, and Onesimus is a runaway slave. And uh, he runs away, he finds himself uh, in Rome, where Paul is serving under house arrest, about the years 60 through 62 uh, A.D. And as he comes into relationship with the Apostle Paul, Paul shares Christ with him, disciples him, and Onesimus becomes a Christ follower. And so he runs away, if you will, and finds himself reconciled to God through Christ. Then Paul who looks upon Onesimus as a spiritual son, uh, he being Onesimus' spiritual father, as likely he was to Philemon as well. Um, he then intercedes on behalf of Onesimus to his owner, Philemon, and uh, asks Philemon to take Onesimus back uh, not to punish him as was the custom in this time for a runaway slave, 
but not only take him back without punishment or penalty, but also to take him back as a brother in Christ. For now, as a brother in Christ, he's more useful than he ever had been before. Not only useful to Philemon, but useful for the sake of the gospel, both to Paul and Philemon in their ministries to the gospel. And as he asks that, uh, he hints in that request that Philemon would actually um, send him back to be a part of Paul's ministry and perhaps even emancipate him, uh, to free him uh, as a brother in Christ, to be fully free to serve in the ministry of the gospel. All these things are, are in these brief 25 verses. And so Onesimus is reconciled to God through Christ under the ministry of Paul. Paul becomes an agent of reconciliation, sending Onesimus back to Philemon that he might be reconciled to Philemon now that he's reconciled to God through Christ, that he might be received not only without penalty, but as a brother in Christ, and that then Onesimus now be an agent of reconciliation in the ministry of the gospel. Hence, runaway reconciliation. That's the, the big theme here uh, in, this, in this book. Um, you might recall that verses 1 through 7, uh, introduction, and then um, some specific remarks from Paul to Philemon, kind of setting him up, preparing him for his request. Uh, the focus on those first seven verses in the book um, is the character of one who forgives. And you might recall that Paul reminds Philemon of his own character, one whose character is grounded in faith, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but faith that goes beyond mere belief or a declaration, if you will, of, of what he believes. Faith in action, faith as a complete and total trust leaning on the Lord. And because of that, because of his trust in Christ, because his life and his character is grounded in that faith, that that faith expresses itself in love, a love towards others, a love that communicates the love of Christ through the gospel, love that refreshes the hearts of others, and Paul acknowledges Philemon's ministry, in fact, that he has uh, refreshed the hearts of many because of his character, because of his faith, and that faith expressed through love. That's the first seven verses. Then you get into verses 8 through 18, which really is the meat or the heart of the letter uh, where, where Paul is appealing on behalf of Onesimus. And the theme there... Um, uh, is the actions of one who forgives. Uh, and the actions of one who forgives uh, are the actions of Christ Himself. That we as followers of Christ, um, those who have surrendered our lives to Him and are filled with His Holy Spirit, that we have Christ's life poured out into us and expressed through us to others. And so the actions of one who forgives are the actions of Christ Himself as we are conformed 
more and more to the image of Christ. And our lives express that Christ-likeness. In fact, you might recall last week I shared with you that uh, theologian N.T. Wright begins uh, his book, his study on the life of Paul with the letter of Philemon because what N.T. Wright suggests is that these 25 verses really uh, are an explanation of Paul's belief of specifically what the gospel is all about, his understanding of redemption and reconciliation and and how that's expressed. Um, That the book of Philemon uh, really summarizes in in a very unique way, in a practical way, in a way that has great application, um, the gospel of Jesus Christ and what that looks like uh, when we live in community together and that is expressed in faith through love. And so uh, the actions of one uh, who forgives uh, reflect the very life of Christ. And now, here we are in uh, the final part, verses 19 through 25. And as we move into verses 19 through 25, uh, Paul is writing, and in verse 18, he tells Philemon if there's any debt if Onesimus running away has cost him financially, either because of productivity that's been lost, or if he's actually stolen anything. And often, a slave would run away, and as they did so, they would steal from their owner, and that would help support their journey or their, um, their foray into ostensibly freedom or a new life. And so, what Paul is saying is, listen, if he owes you anything either because he has taken something from you, literally, or uh, his absence has cost you profitability, uh, charge it to my account. Uh, And of course, that is a beautiful picture of the gospel, of how Jesus, the one who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf. God poured out our sin upon him, that he might pay the price, that he might redeem us, the language of slave commerce, right? He might pay the full price for us and for our sin. And so Paul, again, is uh, expressing his understanding of the gospel, of Christ's redemptive work, of how Christ redeems us. His death on the cross pays the price for our wrongdoing. The one who is innocent gives his life on behalf of the one who is guilty. That the one who is guilty might have new life, might be set free from their debt, from their penalty. And we see that there in verse 18. Uh, A beautiful picture. And and really, as we look at that, I'm thinking of 1 Timothy 2, verses 5-6. through You want to throw that up there? Paul writes to Timothy. By the way, you might recall last week I explained that in Paul's New Testament writings, there are only three people that he addresses individually in letters. Uh, That's Timothy, Philemon, and Titus. And so his letter to Timothy, he says, For there is one God and one mediator 
between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And so we see in Paul's actions towards Philemon regarding the debt of Onesimus, a picture of Christ himself and what Christ did, that uh, Christ gave himself. Paul gives himself. Paul is willing to pay that debt to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. And then, of course, Colossians 2. And these two letters are related because, remember, Philemon has a house church in Colossae. And scholars believe that both the letter to Colossians and the letter to Philemon traveled with the same messenger and arrived at the same time. And that the letter that was read to the Colossians um, would be read to the same group of people that Philemon, the letter to Philemon was read to. And so we see again similar themes here. And uh, Paul writes to the Colossians, when you were dead in your sins... Right? The penalty of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is salvation in Christ Jesus. And so when you, he writes to the Colossians, were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Another translation would say, having canceled out the debt that we owed, which stood against us and condemned us, and that Christ, He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So your sin debt, my sin debt, right, has been paid for. And that that promissory note or that note of debt has literally been nailed to the cross so that when it comes to our sin debt before a holy God, Christ declares paid in full. Paid in full. Okay? What a beautiful picture of the work of Christ in our heart and life. What beautiful imagery of uh, Christ's sacrifice and His payment, His redeeming us. Um, Beautiful picture. So, verse 19, Paul says, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. Now, there's a couple things here that that's talking about. Number one, the language that Paul uses here is a language that would be um, very common in the, in the legal field, almost like a promissory note, like a legal document. And that's the language he's using here. Um, and because it's such an important document, because he is saying, listen, uh, I am willing to pay Onesimus' debt in full, charge it to me, to my account, uh, it's important that he would note as would be the case in a promissory note, that this is coming directly from me. I am writing this in my own hand. My signature is on this. Okay? 
But secondarily, through the New Testament, you'll see other references where Paul will make, I'm writing this in my own hand, because Paul had what was known as an amanuensis. And an amanuensis was a secretary or one who would receive dictation or one who would write on behalf of a person. So that might take one of a couple of forms. One is that Paul would dictate a letter. And the amanuensis would receive dictation. And so the letter would be written not in Paul's hand, but in the hand of the amanuensis, the person taking the dictation. So that would be one example. A second example um, of that would be, uh, in, in, in this case, Paul uh, may actually be writing in his own hand, and he's wanting to distinguish and let somebody know that this is me writing, not my amanuensis. I'm actually writing this myself. And so he's, he's giving that explanation here. So, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. So Paul says, I'm going to pay this back, but by the way, Tim Rockwell, I want to remind you that your very life in Christ, your reconciliation to God through Christ, is a direct result of my ministry to you. And so what I owe you pales in comparison to what you owe me. You owe me your very life. All right? And so essentially Paul is saying, I'm willing to pay any debt on Onesimus' behalf if I really owe you a debt because after all, the thing you owe me is much more valuable than what Onesimus would owe you. Does that make sense? So he's willing to pay it, Tim Rockwell, if you have the nerve to call the debt after all I've done for you in Christ. You kind of see that leverage there? Uh, that's, there's a friendship here. There's a deep relationship here. And uh, have you ever called in a favor with somebody you're in relationship with? It's kind of like this. So then, he goes on. I do wish, brother, that I might have some benefit from you in the Lord Refresh my heart in Christ. Now look at verse 20. Refresh my heart in Christ. Now look at verse 7. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So he's using this word, refreshed the hearts. And he's saying is just as you've refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people, now refresh my heart also in Christ. Why? I've already told you because you're very magnanimous, Tim Rockwell. Your character is grounded in faith, trust in the Lord, and that trust enables you to love freely. And that love is expressed in your willingness to be like Christ. In this case, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Do you see that? So refresh my heart. Refresh my heart is what Paul is saying. Now, verse 21 really gives us the theme of our message today are these last six verses. Uh, if verses 1 through 7 was the character of one who forgives, and is verses 8 through 18 
was the actions of one who forgives, verse 21 really expresses the motives of one who forgives. What's really the motivation? And the motivation here isn't really that Onesimus, or excuse me, that Philemon owes Paul his life in Christ. That's really not the motive. There's a deeper motive than that. He writes this in verse 21. Confident of your obedience... I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Confident of your obedience. Obedience to who? Obedience to Christ. That the love of God, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the love of God compels us. We're not forced. It's not a force of hand. It's not the leverage of a relationship in which one person owes somebody else their very life. That's not the motivation. The motivation is the understanding of the debt that's been paid on one's behalf by God through His Son Jesus. And that motivation compels us to live lives of faithfulness of trust in God in which our lives are obedient to the call of God, to the example of Christ that He sets for us. That we might relate to others even as He is related to us. I'm confident of your obedience. Look at this passage here. John 15, 9-11. John 15, of course, is the imagery of the vine and the branches, right? Um, the vine life, that we're connected to Christ who's the true vine. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in His love. The Son keeps the commands as obedient to the Father, right? And just as the Son is obedient to the Father, so we are obedient to the Son. Do you see that? Because we're compelled. Because of His great love for us. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That we are so connected to the vine. We're so connected to Christ that His very life, that the things that, that give Him joy give us joy and flow through our very spirit like the blood in our veins. You see that? Obedience. And of course, that really is a theme that we see all through Scripture going all the way back to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6.5. Deuteronomy 6.5. There you go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You'll live a life of obedience. Not because you have to, because you want to. It's a response to my love for you. The love of Christ compels us. Well, 
it concludes, verse 22, and one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Listen, I'm hoping to be released, Paul is saying, from house arrest, and my desire is to come back to you, prepare a place for me. My heart is that I would come back to you. Right? And so then he concludes by selling Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ. Jesus sends you his greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord uh, Christ be um, with your spirit. Okay? And those names are very similar. You'll see many of those names in his letter to the Colossians, that other letter as well. Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15 says this, Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and to be thankful. And so again, we get a beautiful picture of what it looks like when Followers of Christ are reconciled to God through Christ, but then they're also reconciled to one another. And that reconciliation results that they live in peace with one another. In your bulletins, you'll see this insert that talks about our values. And then on the other side, well, that's not on this one, but it says your relational covenant. And these are things that we value in relationship. You might want to look at those. This is how we want to relate to one another. This is how we want to live in peace with one another. When there's conflict or disagreement, this is how we want to conduct ourselves. And these are guidelines that are grounded in the Word of God that that we might live out the very best of what Christ intended when He said that other people will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. That you live in reconciliation with God the Father. And because of that, My love compels you to live reconciled to each other, and because of that, you can be agents of reconciliation to the world on my behalf. That's such an important thing that we never forget. We may not always agree with one another. We might offend one another. But that's never an excuse not to love one another and to love one another well. That's a beautiful picture of that in the book of Philemon. I'm going to call Sam Barnlin up. And I promised Sam that I wouldn't put him through the paces. This wouldn't be a, a long ordeal. But many of you know a year ago, Sam set off for Alaska Military Youth Academy. And uh, he did it voluntarily, by the way. It wasn't court-ordered. Okay? And... That's kind of unusual that one would do that. And uh, Sam, I'm just curious, what prompted you to do that? Uh, Well, what prompted me to do it? First of all, uh, my cousin did the program, uh, a cycle, so um, a school year for the academy uh, before I did. Um, And seeing how it changed her life, uh, seeing how it made her a better person, uh, just all together, it really sort of pushed me towards that decision. But the main thing was um, that I 
noticed a lot of uh, problems in my home life, and I looked at them, you know, from from a distance, and I assessed all of them, um, and I noticed a certain pattern, and um, and that that pattern, you know, was you know every situation had something to do with me. So I said, okay, well, how do I how how do I fix this? So I took a look at the academy. I took a look at what it did with my cousin, um, and I said, okay, well, um, this could work for me. Uh, it could make me a better person as a whole. Uh, the distance from my family, though, it would be pretty difficult. Uh, in the end, I think it would be a very healthy thing for us. And so um, I started the process of um, looking into it and seeing how I could sign up. Um, and I don't, I don't think uh, my parents really believed that I was serious about going to military school until we sat down for the meeting for me signing, you know, signing on to go in. Um, and then after that, um, it was about, I don't know, three weeks, maybe a month afterward uh, where I went in. And so I used that time to, you know, sort of, sort of tie up loo uh, mm. loose ends that I've left with my family, you know, make some very necessary apologies. Um, and then I set off for our military school after that. So what I'm hearing you say, Sam, it really wasn't all about you, but it was all about you. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Uh, some of the issues in the family. Of oh, course. yes, yes. Okay, now, that was your motivation, mm -hmm. and so there was a desire for some reconciliation there. Yes. And uh, part of that involved you and some changes in how you thought and how you related to your family. Um, wanting to walk more in the fullness of Christ, but seeing this school as a vehicle to help you to do that. How was the school different than what you thought? In other words, you thought one thing when you arrived there. How was that different? Well, I thought the school was going to be difficult, um, and it was way more difficult than I first anticipated. <laughs> um, the, mo the morning of, uh, there's a thing that they call shock and dock, and um, it's basically just an hour of just yelling and get down and do push-ups and somebody else telling you to do something different. And then the, the first person coming back and yelling at you for not doing what they were doing and sort of just a, sort of a back and forth to sort of get you in the mindset of this is what this school is about. Yeah, and you thought your parents were bad. Uh, <laughs> not really, but, um, but yeah, it, w it was way worse than I first anticipated. But as time went on and uh, the cadets and I got used to it, um, we sort of saw it as getting easier and easier and we got more and more used to it, and uh, you know, we we decided to make our own fun after a while, and so that that's sort of what what uh, kept pushing me to go forward. Now, here, here, how did you see uh, God at work in your life, but but even beyond that, through your life? How did He um, use your life as you were there in relationship with others around you? Well, first and foremost, uh, I saw the opportunity for going to the Youth Academy as um, as a calling that God set before me. Um, ever since I was little, um, my parents have always said, um, you know, if you want your faith to be your own, you can, you know, you have to go out and make it your own. We're not going to sit here and, and hold your hand, you know, the, your whole walk of faith. you got to make it your own at some point and. Up until that point, it was really, um, you know, getting my parents' advice on stuff and uh, having, you know, them sort of hold my hand. But mm -hmm. I saw this as an opportunity for, you know, a six-month one-on-one uh, -on -one with God. And so okay. um, I saw that from the very beginning 
um, as he, um, as um, I went through it every night, I'd, I'd read my Bible. Um, I looked toward his guidance as, you know, times got hard, you know, as I was happy, you know, I could, when I'd laugh, you know, it'd be laughing with him and uh, God was there when I, when I cried. Um, but uh, after, after about three weeks, um, we got to go to church. Um, there, there's another church out in Anchorage uh, that provides services for the cadets every week. Um, they have different speakers and pastors from that church come in. Um, and it, it was a really good experience for cadets to uh, start their walk with the Lord. And so, you know, every week I'd go to church. Um, and, you know, afterward I'd, I'd spend the day going through my Bible, you know, writing verses up on the little whiteboard that we had in our barracks. Um, and pretty soon other cadets started to notice that I was sort of different from everybody else. And a question that started to go around the platoon was, why did I end up going there? And my, my personal answer was, I don't know. I just, I looked at, I looked at my watch and I said, I'm not doing, doing anything for the next six months. So, so I just, yeah, why not go to military school? Yeah. 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 And so, you know, I hear a similar theme between you and Thad Heggie. Uh, (laughs) Thad, um, he, a few weeks ago shared, he was going on a YWAM DTS because he wanted his faith to become his own. Uh, that he wanted to, it's no longer the faith of my mom and dad. I want it to be my faith. I hear a very similar theme with you. The difference is he chose to go to Australia, friend. <laughs> uh, so how did, how did, you, uh, how did that, those relationships uh, develop, and how specifically did, did God allow you to minister to your um, uh, cadet mates? <laughs> well, a lot of Fellow them, students or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, my fellow cadets... Um, a lot of them came from really broken backgrounds, um, and when when they were with me, they told me, you know, hey, I feel like I can, you know, sort of be vulnerable around you because uh, I don't know, I don't see you, you know, talking in the corner, gossiping with anybody else, you know, like these other cadets do. And you know, a lot of them got very personal with me, and and I gave them uh, God-inspired advice, and you know, they wrote letters home and and tied up loose ends with that. Um, and pretty soon, um, every night before bed, you know, they, people noticed me praying. And so they said, hey, you know, can you mind if I pray with you? I said, yeah, no problem. Can, or can you pray for me for this or pray with me for that? And so, you know, I pray for them. And pretty soon it just got to be where every night before we'd, you know, hit the bricks and rack, um, there'd be a small group of us in the corner, you know, just praying for one another. Um, and it ended up leading a couple of folks to Christ that really did need it. Mm, um, good stuff, yeah. So um, a- after that was all said and done, though, after I graduated the academy, uh, they choose a couple people from the previous cycle to help out and train the next batch of cadets uh, for the next cycle. And I got an opportunity to uh, train, help train and um develop the the next group of kids that were going to go through the mm. cycle um and just right off the bat they felt really comfortable with me um there were a lot of uh legality uh legalities between you know me mentoring them and me praying for them um because i was uh hired by the by the state and, yeah. and by the military uh to do the two weeks thing but um you know i'd sort of say you know hey you know if you say this it'd be legal for me to pray for you or 
you, you, sort, you sort of have to bring it on, and they say, yeah, okay. And so I give them Christ-inspired uh, advice, and I pray for them. So, so you are a state-paid missionary. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Sam, um, uh, ostensibly you left home to go there uh, to develop some things of your own character so you could be really reconciled to your parents and your family. Yeah. Uh, but in that, you found a, a, a deeper walk with Christ and you became an instrument of reconciliation. You became more profitable, if you will, or of greater value uh, than you were before you left. Uh, and God used you. Uh, here, a similar theme to the book of Philemon. God used you um, in the lives of, of others and did even afterwards um, because the love of Christ compels you as it compels us to be instruments of reconciliation as if God were appealing through us, right? Uh, and, and that was your experience. Uh, you grew up in this church. Um, and, and, well, yeah, you really have grown up in this church. <laughs> um, there are some kids here today that were where you were once. Just briefly, in a, in a, in a sentence or a few, what word would you have for them? I would have to say, don't be afraid to put... Um, don't be afraid to love others because put, putting your heart out on the line um, is something that, you know, society today, I think, with at least younger people, you know, they, they encourage a more reserved approach because, yeah. you know, if, if you've got to fall back, fall back to you, um, your own feelings and your own devices. And I don't know, I just, I don't think that's the right way to approach things. So don't be afraid to put your heart out on the line and really let God's love shine through. That's a good word. Hey, let's hear it for Sam. Stay here. Uh, as the worship team comes up, as we prepare to continue in worship, let's pray. Father, we thank you for Sam. Oh, Father, we thank you um, that your spirit prompted him um, to dive deeper into what it means to develop character. Uh, and to be a young man who desires to be a man following after Jesus. And Father, we thank you that uh, he did something very unusual, uh, and that is uh, go to a military school, not because he had to, because he wanted to, but Lord, you met him there. And Father, as you met him there, you not only developed things in him, but Father, you allowed him to be an instrument for your glory in leading others to relationship with you. Father, we thank you for him. We thank you for the young man that he has become. Father, we pray that he would continue to walk with you. Lord, that he would be your instrument of reconciliation. Father, that Sam would not only follow you, but Lord, uh, he would be a powerful witness to you all the days of his life. God, we give you thanksgiving for his testimony. Thank you, Father, that the faith of his mom and dad is now his faith and that he is walking wholeheartedly with you. We commit him now to you. We pray this in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.